Welcome to Legacy Women's Podcast, where we seek to encourage women in their relationship with God and one another through monthly conversations with the women of Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Okay, I'm here to share a little bit about my spiritual journey. Um, all of my 61 years, in, a, in some sense, have been a pilgrim's progress toward Christ. Um, I was born to loving Christian parents who made Christ central. As a preteen, I was exposed to the zeal and the excitement of the Jesus movement of the late 60s and early 70s. If you don't know anything about it, you can Google it. It was a real thing. Um, and in that, in that time, um, because of that movement, I heard the gospel in its fullness. And I made a profession of faith. I wore a leather band on my wrist that said Jesus um, long before the creators of WWJD were even born. And um, I had an interest in and a devotion to the Bible. And I hung on every word of faith and practice that um, I saw in my mom, who for me was a spiritual giant. Um, But then on uh, May 6th in 1974, um, just a few short weeks after my profession of faith, and it was a day before her 46th birthday, um, my mom died suddenly in the middle of the night of a massive heart attack. I was the youngest of three girls. Um, And so as you can imagine, a lot about my life changed. Um, High school had a lot of uh, pain and um, hurt and emotional turmoil. So after high school, uh, marrying young seemed like a good source of comfort, right? (laughs) Except that I married an unbeliever. But we went to college together, but the most significant part of my young married life at college um, wasn't school, and it actually wasn't marriage, but it was God pursuing me. I could feel the draw of God, and I could feel him saying, um, there's something more. It's incomplete. Uh, But I didn't understand that. I had not had enough teaching to fully understand what his spirit was leading me to. And... um, But I vividly remember standing in the tiny kitchen of our married student housing apartment and crying out to the Lord. And I said, I hear you, but what is it? I don't know what it is. And but, oh, the mercy and the grace of God, because he just led me by his spirit um, uh, to a brokenness that enabled me to see the weight of my sin and to see the glory of Christ's work on the cross, even though I had been raised in the message of the cross. Um, It was a very personal and dramatic time for me. And so I was born again. I received the Holy Spirit, um, which was definitive compared to my profession of faith. And um, this was in April of 1981. And it was dramatic, and I changed a lot. Um, I was passionate for the things of God, to know his word, to be near his people. I quit college in my junior year so that I could make money and support my husband um, in getting his degree. And um, then in February of 1984, I had our daughter, Megan. She's right there. And um, in May, my husband graduated um, from Purdue. He got his first job, and we moved to a new community. I can't begin to cover all the details that God orchestrated, 
um, in my life to prepare me for what was to come. But I can say that the most significant way that he grew me was by leading me into his word. As referenced in this week's reading, I was hearing, and that hearing was leading to seeing, and that seeing was leading to savoring. Um, A whole new world of faith was opening up for me and for Megan as I was raising her in the the faith as well. Um, And it just, it created for us a new world, but the new world that my husband chose was adultery. So um, I went to work and put Megan with a babysitter for the first time and um, because he decided to leave. And at the babysitter's house, she suffered a near fatal accident, uh, a head injury in an accident. And um, so at two years old, I watched my little girl uh, be taken from the local hospital room to a life flight helicopter. Um, She was uh, going into a coma and in critical condition and they flew her to Indianapolis for um, surgery. And so her dad and I walked through these weeks and months of her recovery together, but he never quit his adulterous relationship. And so he divorced Megan and me, (laughs) me namely, but he divorced Megan and me the next year. And so I was forced to be what I didn't want to be, a divorced single mom. Um, But I knew that God was holding me fast and ordering my steps. And I knew this because of the time I had spent and the nurturing I had gotten from others in the word of God and in the character of God. I moved Megan and, and I to Nashville, Tennessee, from Indiana, um, to be near my sister. I met Keith, my current husband of 33 years, pretty soon after arriving. Um, Keith and I found out very quickly that two Christians does not a Christian marriage make. <laughs> and so, um, but the grace of God continuously reached for us and has sustained us, um, and our Marriage is a whole other testimony <laughs> in and of itself, um, but uh, a testimony to God's goodness and, and um, faithfulness. So for the next 25 years um, after marriage, uh, my second marriage, for the next 25 years, the message of God to me <clears throat> was know my ways. And um, so I was fortunate to be able to... Um, to be taught the word and, and to be exposed to a lot of truth. And, um, you know, Psalm 32, eight tells us, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. The more we know of the word of God, the more we know the God of the word. And so seeing God and his character in his word and in the body of Christ is what has carried me. Um, in dark seasons, and there have been many more than even these, um, I haven't lost my faith, but I have at times lost my strength. I've lost my sense of security, and I've even lost my emotional stability. But those who have walked with me through the darkness have reminded me of what I know of God and the surety of Christ. 
and his strength and his stability. Um, Life can be hard, and sometimes, especially as a Christian, life can be hard. Let me just say it's going to be hard. (laughs) Um, But as Mr. Beaver said of Aslan in C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and this is a quote, safe, who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. And that's what we, uh, we stand on, is the goodness of God. And as God proclaims of himself from his word, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. And we know what he provided for the guilty. Um, This is our God, so let's journey together to know him better. Thank you. After being raised in a Christian home in college, I stopped believing the Bible was true. The church I'd grown up in had prepared me for some big issues like Christianity versus other religions, but I'd never been trained in the biblical reasons why we believed what we believed. Therefore, when my apparently Christian professors told me parts of the Bible weren't true, usually the parts that disagreed with their political agendas, I knew no defense against their tactics. My professors taught me that I was like a parrot, blindly repeating what I had heard at home. They told me that they were training me to come to my own conclusions about faith. Little did I realize that all they were teaching only made a new parrot, repeating their phrases instead of my parents. By the end of my second year in college, I refused to read my Bible, And if I prayed, I only did so to challenge God to prove he was real. More than once, I sat on my bed, arms crossed, glaring at my Bible in hatred. Though I did not believe the Bible, I also realized that if the Bible wasn't true, then life was meaningless. I was angry, cynical, and depressed. So I was in a very dark place when someone began pestering me to visit Cornerstone. Though I attended only to make that person leave me alone, the people I saw on my first Sunday smacked me in the face with what I knew I was missing. These people had confidence, joy, and purpose. Though I still didn't believe the Bible, I began attending Cornerstone regularly. I began to want to believe again. This pattern continued until about a year later during a Cornerstone U on the Doctrine of Scripture While I was sitting quietly in class that day, the dam broke. A supernatural flood of faith hit me as I realized that if the Bible was indeed true, I was in big trouble. But if the Bible was indeed true, God himself had purchased a way for me to be saved from that trouble. I have lived by experience both the life of the cynic and the life of the faithful. My past as an angry skeptic only helps me love the truth more now. 
the fruit of truth is so much sweeter. Unlike our culture's empty doctrine of self-finding and self-fashioning, God's word anticipates my deepest longings, meets me in my grief, and continually charms me with unimaginable love. Every solid doctrine increases my joy in practical day-to-day life. Some examples from just the past two years, learning more about the doctrine of the Trinity has surprisingly helped me believe God's love for me more. Learning more about Christ's incarnation and ascension has given me more joyful confidence that the one with the power to save me is a man with full sympathy for and identification with me. Learning the doctrine of the Holy Spirit has helped me see that God is a communicative God and he desires relationship. This has encouraged my prayer life like nothing else. But what's the practical outworking of these doctrines? Altogether, they have helped to grow me from a fragile and easily angered mother to someone who, while not perfect, can meet whatever parental task comes to me during the day with a heart that is stable and sure. When I fail at those tasks, I run to my God eagerly for forgiveness and help with a heart just as stable and sure. And this sweeping change in my parenting was not the fruit of a parenting book or seminar. Rather, it came from reading books about doctrine, the doctrines of the Trinity and of Christ's person and work. Just recently, we had to walk through some scary possibilities regarding our coming forth child. During the two weeks of uncertainty, while I knew my life may well be turned upside down, what saved me from crippling anxiety by God's grace was doctrine. Over and over, I recited to myself what I knew about God. Those eternal truths brought far greater comfort than any statistics or ice cream binges. I could only function when I continually reminded myself of who God was, of how he works all things together for good, of how he pities me and my weaknesses when I lie awake at night shaking, of how he is wiser than I am and knows better than I do what will bless my children, and of how his character and purpose will stand when all else in my life will eventually pass away. As the years of walking out faith in scripture go by, I can say gladly with the psalmist, this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. My name is Michelle, and first I have a little confession. Today I had a... um, a cortisone shot like two hours ago and it kind of puts a lot of steroids in your system and so I'm like don't talk fast don't talk fast don't talk fast so if you hear me go and you hear me speed up and then slow down it's a little bit related to my body is kind of like racing right now anyway tonight I would like to talk a little bit about disappointment I'm gonna start with the year 2020 2020 was hard not just because of the coronavirus and the politics, but the biggest thing experienced over and over again during the year was disappointment. Missed vacations. Think about Vision Quest. It was called off days before going. 
uh, virtual graduations, canceled holidays, sudden quarantines that limited you, no concerts, no sports, no church, and lots of Zoom, Zoom, Zoom. But what exactly is disappointment? The Merriam-Webster Dictionary says that disappointment is the state or emotion of being disappointed. And drilling down into the word disappoint, we find the root, to fail to come up to the expectation or hope of. And the key words of this are expectation and hope. Most of the times, these are things that we're looking forward to. But there's a lot of things that we can say about expectations and hopes. They can be little, like expecting a nice weekend with no plans, or they can be big, like hoping to have a baby within the next year. And they can be right, like looking forward to time with family. Or they can be wrong. I deserve an evening to myself. And when they are not met, this is where the rubber hits the road. How do we respond? How should we respond? This is the quintessential squeezing of our little sponge hearts. And it is telling to see what comes out of us when we've been disappointed. Matthew 12, 34 says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Ouch. But for me, in 2020 and early 2021, I realized that I needed to hold things lightly with open hands. James 4, 13 to 15 says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So for me, in 2020, the Lord did not will for me to do this, enjoy Thanksgiving with friends, or that, have Christmas with my parents, something that had never happened before in my life. And of the two different situations, I responded to the second one better than to the first. I saw it as my decision to care for my parents by not being around them. But the first one, losing Thanksgiving by being exposed to COVID when I had been very cautious, revealed my selfish heart. I really did not know what tomorrow would bring when I was exposed to COVID. I had planned to celebrate the holiday with friends. It had been a long year of isolation, and I was still not back in church. And this is not a bad or sinful expectation. Unfortunately, however, I let that expectation rule my heart, and from it came my angry thoughts and words. I became angry, first, with the person who had exposed me, and second, with the Lord, because I had really been looking forward to the time, and I knew that the Lord had allowed all of this to happen. And in reality, this is really a small thing. I had a choice to make, and I chose myself over the Lord. And all of that was sinful. So, how should we manage our hearts when our expectations are not met? What does that look like? 
or what can that look like? In the book, Aging with Grace, Sharon Betters spoke of the matriarchs of the Israelites, the older Hebrew women who in a 70-year exile to Babylon knew that they would never return to Israel. The Lord had willed that they would never again see the promised land and would die in exile. Betters said they had a choice. They could be life givers or life takers. They could choose to joyfully embrace God's call to cultivate a godly, peaceful community, or they could choose bitterness, whining, and complaining. In the midst of disappointment, they had a choice. And in the midst of our disappointments, both small and large, we have a choice. We can live with unmet hopes or expectations and the accompanying disappointment when we remember who we are and whose we are. When we place these expectations in the bigger picture of our lives and our purpose, we are mists which appear for a little time and then vanish. You know, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But if the Lord doesn't will that thing to happen or occur, the most important things are still true in our lives, for those are his children. Vanitha Rendell Reisner says in her book, The Scars That Have Shaped Me, I can show the surpassing worth of Christ when I suffer well, when I joyfully accept circumstances that are less than perfect, when I give up my need to control, willingly relinquishing my need to have things exactly how I want is an act of worship. It's really good. So fast forward a year and a half in my life to February 2022. I'm wrestling with a life expectation, but my heart is in a different place. And as I'm navigating where the Lord has me in life, I'm wrestling with how to walk through disappointments related to living the single life, especially how to battle the loneliness that can come from an empty house. But this time, my desire is to walk this out well, to put that expectation that desire for relationship on the Lord's altar as a sacrifice. This isn't an easy thing for me. It includes tears and depression. But I want to walk this out well to honor the Lord in the middle of this hard thing that he has put into my life. To glorify him even when even it blah. <laughs> to glorify him in it even when it hurts. So, a verse that's recently been my close comfort in this ongoing conversation with the Lord is John 12, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And I like this verse because it shows the painful act of dying, but the result of death being fruit. So, in this life... As I wrestle with the disappointment of my expectation not being met, the Lord has given me a verse which meets me where I am. And it shows me that, yes, the way is painful, but it will bear much fruit. And I have no higher desire than to bear fruit for the Lord. So, the next time you find yourself facing disappointment, take a moment. Look to the Lord. Ask for his help. Try to understand what the expectation or hope is that is not being met. 
You may not do this perfectly. That's okay, because you have one who both began a good work in you and will bring it to completion. And he did walk out every unmet expectation and disappointment perfectly in our place. And we can rest in him when we fail. So see that circumstance as an opportunity to glorify the Lord rather than a time when you didn't get something that you wanted. I'm Elizabeth, and yes, I have struggled with envy and coveting over the years. Um, Like Bethany said, I think these would be really shameful and embarrassing things to share with you, except for the fact that Jesus Christ has already lived, died, and paid for them. So that frees me to talk about it, and just knowing that God knows about these sins and struggles in my life, and he's working to change me, so... um, just thinking back, my, one of my earliest childhood memories of envy was I was a little bitty girl, and I remember my younger cousin got amazing gifts at Christmas and on her birthday. And for some reason, these were always broadcast to the whole family. Just, you know, the biggest, best holiday Barbie, like the brand new Cabbage Patch, all the best things. And I remember being really little and just not liking that, and it felt just like a dagger in my heart. I felt hot inside, and maybe my face flushed, and I just remember not liking that feeling, you know, like thinking, why does she get all the best toys? I want toys. I want those toys, and and even thinking thoughts like, oh, she's probably going to be so spoiled. I bet she's going to be just a brat, you know, terrible thoughts like that, even as a little kid, so... um I'm going to visit that thought later, (laughs) but um, as I grew into a young woman, I began a pattern of envying women with really great bodies. Why couldn't I have a great body? I wanted what they had. I was growing deeper in my relationship with the Lord, but I wasn't sure how to get out of this thought habit. I wanted to love others, and I knew 1 Corinthians said, love does not envy, love does not boast, it is not proud. It occurred to me that I couldn't both truly love a person and covet what they had. As I got older, I noticed that I was stumbling regularly upon another area of envy, other people's homes. Other people seemed to decorate their homes so well. This didn't come easily for me. I had to work at it, and even my best effort didn't produce the same beautiful fruit as many women that I knew. Woe is me, I thought. I was so disappointed and discouraged. Sometimes this would keep me from extending hospitality because I was ashamed or embarrassed about the way I decorated my home. Other times it would produce bad fruit in my life after I visited a friend who decorated beautifully. I couldn't rejoice with her. I begrudged this gift in her life. As I was wrestling with this in my heart and praying, I remember the Lord showed me something. This struggle I'm having about houses feels just like the struggle I used to have about ladies' bodies. The Holy Spirit was revealing something new to me. I thought these were isolated issues that really had nothing to do with each other, but there was a common denominator, me. I had a heart problem. 
a sin problem. Here is what God began to show me. Coveting or wanting what someone else has was an issue of my pride. In my pride, I think very highly of myself. I do this this with my kids a lot. We're thinking way highly of ourselves, so we think we deserve the best. Um, So in my pride, I thought very highly of myself, and so I thought I deserved the best things. I had an elevated view of myself. So when other women had a better figure than me, I didn't like that. I should have the best figure. And because of my pride, I thought my house should look the prettiest, not others. This was actually really hard to discern about myself because I didn't feel like I was being proud and arrogant. Strong pride, you know. It felt more like a pity party. Oh, poor me. I guess I'm just not as good as all the girls kind of thing. But self-pity is actually a form of pride. Sorry to break the news. It looks weak, but it's just because my strong pride wasn't getting what it wanted. And in your all's books, if you guys do the spiral books, on page 96, um, the author does a great job of articulating this thing I'm talking about. She does it way better than me. So my pride was sneaky. But at the root of the whining kind of thoughts I was having was self-love and self-exaltation. I needed to repent of self-love and let my heart be rewired to love God the most and truly love others in my life. Now I've learned to notice this pride in my life. When I'm tempted to covet what other people have, I pause and think, okay, there's my pride. I ask God to help me think truthfully about who he is and who I am. And then I try to begin to thank the Lord for blessing that person with the specific things he's blessed them with. I see them as people like me with strengths and weaknesses and struggles themselves. I wasn't free to truly love people well when I was bound up in envy and jealousy and covetousness. But God has progressively set me free as I've put off these sins and put on humility and love. Another sweet fruit, this is born in my life, is now I so enjoy being in other people's homes and experiencing their hospitality and learning from it. I'm reminded that in the church body, we all share our gifts with each other. I'm learning that our gifts aren't meant to put up on a pedestal and worship. They are given to bless others. And as believers in the body together, if one of my sisters is really gifted in a certain way, I receive her strengths as a gift from God for me to actually enjoy and rejoice with. Instead of wanting to personally have her gift, I enjoy it and thank God for it. I'm especially grateful for the role that this church has played in helping me change in this area of sin and struggle in my life. Just worshiping and singing on Sunday mornings, those rich truths about who God is, um, the preaching, the fellowship where I could be open about my struggles and receive accountability. God's used this church to help me grow and change. And I really want to say thank you, Lord, for having mercy on me and changing me to this point. There were times when I thought this would always be an active struggle for me, and I'm so grateful that we can change. Um, I just, I told you I'd revisit that childhood memory of my cousin that got all the gifts, you know, 
and just thinking, well, she'll probably grow up to be a terrible, spoiled brat. Um, and what's amazing is she grew up, and she's one of the most generous people you'll ever meet. She's constantly giving gifts, giving and giving and giving gifts. And um, even my family is a regular recipient of her lavish, unselfish giving. She didn't become a brat <laughs> through the gifts that she received. And it just it made me think, you never know what the Lord is doing when he's portioning out the gifts that he gives to others. And I pray we could grow to worship him for all the kindness he lavishes on other people. Other people's gifts and success can be fuel for our worship to God instead of stumbling blocks to our joy.